improv gives us um, a means for everyone to bring their life experience to the table and connect it. Hi, this is the Bring a Brick podcast, interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life. I'm your host, John Cooper. My guest this show is Jim Ansaldo. Jim is a research scholar at Indiana University in Bloomington. He's a member of Comedy Sports Indianapolis and an instructor at Camp Yes And, which is an improv camp that teaches teenagers on the autism spectrum and their educators. Uh, I got the chance to meet with Jim earlier this year in San Jose, and without further ado, here's the interview. Okay, it's the last day of Championship in San Jose, and I've managed to grab hold of Jim Ansaldo from Indianapolis. Um, I got in touch with Jim before tournament, as he works uh, with children with autism, uh, and and I'm not going to answer the question of what he does, because he's here, (laughs) so I can talk to him and ask him what he does. Um, Jim popped up on my radar a a couple of years ago, well, a year ago, at Indianapolis Championship, um, and it's great to be able to sit down and have a good chat with Jim and the work that he does. Hi, Jim. Hello, John. Thanks for having me. Here. My pleasure, my pleasure. And it's it's great to um, have a chance to do these live. Yes. Um, most of the interviews I've done have been uh, Skype-based things, uh, so it's nice to actually have people in the room with me for a change. Right. Uh, so just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and the work that you do. Yeah, so I work uh, for Indiana University, um, for a center that focuses, uh, broadly speaking, on developing more inclusive schools for students uh, with and without disabilities, actually. We think improving school overall is a, yeah. an improvement for everyone, but we want to keep in mind then maximizing access for students with a variety of different types of needs. Okay. Uh, uh, so that would, that's your job and... and- what you you'd had improv first and then brought improv into this work environment with you? Yeah, you know, improv has really kind of uh, been part and parcel of my career in education. Um, I first got into improv around 1988. I was after my first year of college. I took an intro to theater course that was taught by a woman in New Haven, Connecticut, that was the artistic director of a small theater. I was walking downtown in New Haven one day and saw a sign on the door that said improv auditions. And okay. I just said, what the heck, I'm going to go in and do yeah, it. Yeah. I auditioned, I got cast in a show and put into classes and started doing improv. And then, um, you know, a couple years later, I went back to school to get a master's degree and certification to teach high school. Okay. And my master's project was on using improv as a teaching tool in the classroom. Okay, wow. So, you know, right away, I, I just saw it as a, a great way to... So you made a, that connection pretty early in terms of, like, hey, this is a really valuable tool for this particular Yeah, task. yeah, yeah. I, when I was student teaching, I had the opportunity to student teach with someone who was a high school English and drama teacher. Okay. And as part of that, he had... Um, an intro to drama class for students with special needs, a variety of cognitive disabilities. Yeah. Um, And he had me teach an improv unit to them. And so we played a variety of games, and they loved it. And so that was really my first time kind of applying improv. Okay. And and was there kind of research before? Had you looked into what other people had done in that area? Or did you just make the leap and go, I know what this needs? Yeah, I I kind of had to leap because, honestly, back in those days... um, 
we were doing short form improv in Connecticut. There was a little bit of theater sports going on. And, you know, we were just starting to hear about this thing called the Herald that some folks in New York okay. were doing. And yeah, yeah. I kind of knew Second City was out there. But, you know, without the internet and all that other stuff, like, you know, back yeah, in the Stone yeah. Age, it's like you're piecing stuff together. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a little more trial and error than anything else. But since then, I've had an opportunity to yes. see what lots of people are Yeah, doing. of course. Yeah, remind me of what the 90s was. When, when was this? This Yeah, this was in the, probably my master's project would have been finished around 1993. Okay, yeah. okay, that puts it into context. I'm always interested in the context of the timeline of, of, of when that happened. Yeah. Did... did you're obviously you're a member of, of comedy sports Indianapolis. Did mm-hmm. was your route into improv a serious one or a comedy one or a bit of both? A comedy one, although um, a lot of my earliest teachers and team members had actually come into improv through um, like Narcotics Anonymous and things like that. Oh wow! Like, okay, as a way, a, a means of therapy. Yeah. Um, so right away, I. My improv experience was just connected to the whole kind of helping others, I guess. Right, you could like a therapeutic world. approach to the use of it. Yeah, and so, and, you know, I think if you read, like, John Stone, yes. you can see, you know, he gets really into some of those therapeutic ac- applications or working with kids, yeah. you know. So I guess to go back to your earlier question, that is a piece when I read Impro, yeah. just John Stone describing how he worked as a teacher yeah. in England and that sort of thing also I think was making those connections yeah. and of course Viola Spolin was a teacher as well and so yeah yeah, yeah. just yesterday we were both in uh, a Jill Bernard workshop yes. um where she did um mindfulness and improv yes um and it's always kind of something that's been slightly at the back of my head in terms of things that I do and connections but it's really nice to see someone of say the stature of Jill Bernard coming and going okay I'm going to time draw the dots between these two things and show you some examples and I have tried to explain to people oh, what was that like people have said oh what was that workshop like and I find it really hard to explain yeah. what we did and why we did it but I know that I came out of that workshop feeling really good and awesome it's kind of like yes yes that was a thing it's yes. kind of and it's not I don't want to try and quantify it or qualify it because it's a, it almost felt like a very different beast to the rest of the week here at this comedy sports championship, you know, in terms of this kind of gag-based, pun-based thing. But we're going to then now we're going to do this thing, thing where we are meditating and thinking about improv at the same time for a moment. Um, yeah, I found that fascinating, and that certainly yeah. connects, I would imagine, to the kind of stuff that you do. Yes, uh, it connects quite a bit. Um, so, in the past. Um, Four years or so, I've been doing a lot of work around using improv to support both teens with autism and educators, and educators broadly speaking, anywhere from elementary or high school teachers to special educators to, um, we've actually had a lot of speech language pathologists um, who are people that are often tasked with teaching social skills classes in schools, which can be very dry, not very engaging. The kids kind of know they're being sent the message. There's something wrong with you, and th- these kids are brilliant. They yeah. know that they're different. Yeah. Um, and so it can be very hard to engage them um, mm-hmm. in in things that can be very scripted. Like if you think about learning a foreign language, right? Yeah. You know, 
where's the library? My pencil is red, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If we apply that to social interactions and you're trying yeah. to teach teens, like, how to yeah. interact with their peers, yeah. and, yeah. I, you know, I'm a 50-year-old man. Yeah. Like, I, like I don't live in that world. Like you're introducing an unnecessary a, a level of structure before you even started yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, improv gives us um, a, a means for everyone to bring their life experience to the table and connect it. Okay, yeah, you know? yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it. So I, I was, I've been thinking about this lately, going back to Viola Spolin, you know, she developed her improv games in the context of having to work with people who didn't speak the same language. Yes. And that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, I, I think improv is a technology that has been developed specifically to connect people across difference. Yes. That's what we have. Yeah. Um, and so that mindfulness piece, to, to go back to you know what we experienced, was that, um, I think, connecting inwardly to ourselves, getting rid of that editing voice that yeah. tells us that yeah. we're bad or our ideas are terrible, yeah. and then also being to connect outwardly to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, the, when I'm interviewing people in this podcast, it's kind of like I, I'm very aware that I am the messenger, not the expert. Uh-huh. But, uh, but and, and all I do is try and listen to voices. I, I listen to voices, and, and people kind of reaffirm as I learn, as I hear. Um, and I remember even at the back end of last year when I was interviewing someone, I said, "Oh, improv is a bit like yoga," and I felt like an idiot. I, felt, I really did feel like an idiot mm-hmm. coming out with something like that because it's kind of like you know, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then in that workshop, Jill said to, one of the things she said was, "You are enough." which is something that I learned in a yoga class, which right. is obviously mindfulness and it is connected. And if anything, when I was there, it was, it was a validation of sorts. And it is, it's that inner kind of, that inner knowing of yourself, which allows you to have a level of confidence and comfort, I think is equally valid yeah. to, to then bring that out to the world. So can, can you give me example, an example perhaps of how you do the how, the kind of thing that you, if you, you're in a room with, um, a bunch of kids who needs to how do you begin to introduce the improv to them yeah you know in a lot of ways like the the, the big secret beneath all of this work is we're really just kind of doing improv like that is to say that what we do is already so personalized and individualized yeah. you know because again I, I get to bring my entire life experience to it yes so I have all the prior knowledge and skill Mm-hmm. that I need like yeah. that's the you are enough piece in a way right yeah yeah like um, if we think about other tasks in school like prior prior knowledge and skill is um, I'll do a little nerd uh, sidetrack so Benjamin Bloom was the first scientist to study human learning in depth okay and he concluded that prior knowledge and skill was the most salient student characteristic the most important thing to know about a learner okay and, and not other kind of personal qualities but just how much do they understand and how much can they do around this this topic already yeah and then we need to scaffold we need to build one layer at a time of that new skill and if we can do that mm-hmm. very skillfully yeah they will progress rapidly right versus piling on a very difficult task yes so if you think again about improv and how much we get to just draw from our own life experience yeah. we have a high degree of prior knowledge and skill there already yeah yeah so when working with um, teens on the spectrum, we already have a tool that's very effective. Um, but then uh, my partner um, in uh, developing Camp Yes and at Indiana University has been Lacey Alana, who's a, a brilliant 
uh, therapist and, and teacher and improviser in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, I've learned a lot from her. Um, we do pay attention to structuring the environment, to like mm -hmm. making sure the lighting's not harsh. Okay. Trying to build in a space where somebody can go and be apart from the group if they need to. Yeah. And ideally, it's nice if it's a little bit in the shadows, but they can still see. Okay. You know, because yeah. in improv, like, we can draw them back in by getting a suggestion. Yes. Or, you know, yeah. play the game from your chair. I don't yeah. care, you know. Yeah. So so you're kind of bringing the volume down on this is a performance. So it's kind of like they're not looking at it as if they're performing. Right. Or, they are, or, right. or would you say that they are performing? Um, or trying, to not, trying not to make that the focus? Trying not to make it the focus so much. I mean, we, we focus on doing good improv yes. a lot. Yeah. Um, but really with each other until it comes time for our showcase and then we make that transition to talking about performance yeah. um, but um, also because um, at our camp at Camp Yes And we uh, work both with educators and teens with autism so each morning of camp we um, just work with educators and teaching them improv and that's very much the applied improv focus. Uh, you know, we're not asking you to be performers. You don't have to worry about being funny or clever yeah. or creative, even though you are. I mean, um, but really, let's learn this as a tool set for strengthening communication and social mm -hmm. interaction skills and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, so setting up the environment in the right way helps. And then, as I said, we have this great tool set already. And then really, I think... Um, I think an educator starts to develop a, um, a mind and an eye for scaffolding kind of on the fly. Yeah. So yeah. if we see that something is overwhelming and difficult, you know, if we can break down that task into its component parts yes. and maybe remove some of those complications. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So just as a simple example, like one thing we'll do up front if... If we're explaining a game like Zip Zap Zop or mm -hmm. Whoosh Bang Pow or you know any of those yeah. kinds of circle games yeah. with the onomatopoeia, um, just doing one layer at a time. Yeah. So we're going to whoosh, just whoosh around the circle yeah. for yeah. a couple minutes. And then we'll add in, okay, now we have bang. And yeah. we'll do that for a little bit. And then yeah. we, you know, so whereas with some other groups, we might just explain all the rules at once. Right. Just layering that and giving a little bit of practice for right. each piece. That in the beginning hours of camp yeah. for both groups actually because these are educators that have mm -hmm. no experience with yeah. improv and yeah. many of them might be frightened around public speaking or whatever but so for both groups that just reduces the stress so camp yes and is for trainers <clears throat> yeah. yeah so um, you know tell me a little more about the format of camp yes and yeah okay so uh, so Lacey Alana um, has been um, the person running the Building Connections program at the Hideout Theater in Austin, Texas, um, for several years now, where they teach improv. Um, for it started out as teens with autism, and now they have a younger class, and mm -hmm. they actually have a young adult class now yeah. too. Um, <clears throat> I met Lacey at the Applied Improvisation Network conference in Austin in 2014, mm -hmm. and which just immediately she and Jessica R.J. from The Hideout presented. I was really impressed with the work they did and said, you know, I'd love to bring you to Indiana. How could we do this? And we knew right away, you know, they teach a, like a 13-week class series, and obviously we can't do that, bring yeah. somebody from Texas. So we started talking about, well, you know, what would a camp look like? Right. And then my background as a teacher educator came, came into it just thinking, what I heard about Lacey's classes were comments from parents and 
her staff and everybody, and they would say, like, I didn't know those kids could do that. Right. And I'm thinking, if their own parents can be surprised mm-hmm. by what they're capable of, yes. how yeah. is it possible that we are creating an appropriately challenging education for yeah. these kids? Yeah. And so I know if I can get 10 teachers to start doing improv in their classroom, yeah. that's going to reach 500 kids, right? Yeah. which I can't possibly do in a summer yeah. camp. Yeah. So then we started talking about this camp that's a combination of direct service for kids with disabilities mm-hmm. and professional learning for educators. So um, as I mentioned before, each morning of camp we work just with the educators. They get a chance to try out the improv games, yeah. talk about how they're used, yeah. make mistakes, yeah. um, you know, all that sort of thing. And then each afternoon they work with us with the kids. So then they're seeing the games in practice. They're getting a chance to try them out, to get coaching. Yeah. Um, and what I know from my background is most teacher professional development is very talky. So mm. we, we will do a PowerPoint and we'll show you this great method. Yeah, it's yeah. very rare you get to see it being used with actual real life. Kids, yeah, like live examples. Yeah. Much less to actually then get to practice it yourself and get feedback on your practice and yeah. coaching. Yeah, um, and when those elements are present, <clears throat> we see a much greater implementation in the classroom. Okay, um, the research suggests that in that very traditional talk-based model, only about 10% of educators will go back and do something different in the classroom. Okay. Because um, they've just had no chance to yeah. to practice. You know, if you imagine a, a sports team, you know, the coach just says, okay, here's what we're going to do in right. the game, and yeah. you talk on the bench, and yeah. they never get a chance to have a practice, and you Spend just go play the game. Yeah, yeah. You know? so, so what are the, in terms of when you're doing train the trainer, or, or, or most particularly when you're actually working with kids, are there any specific or regular challenges that you come up against that you know are, are significant you know on the educator side i think um there comes a point where we stop talking and we get up and do mm-hmm. um because they're very interested in what i would call the edge cases like oh i have this one kid and he really struggles and you know what about that one kid right and you know and we'll talk it through, but there comes a point where it's like let's let's get up and do it, yes, and try it, and and then let's come back to that question after the afternoon and see if maybe we've seen or experienced something that can answer that. So you're more kind of focusing on the outcomes of having tried it as opposed to preemptively yeah. what we're going to do. Yeah, 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 and um, and also for educators, you know. The, they've been beaten up a lot, at least in the United States, in terms yeah. of yeah, just you know. There's, a, I think, a, a kind of prevailing narrative that our schools are failing and, right. you know, um, like a lot of states passed um, teacher evaluation laws and things like that, that. Okay. That can be experienced at least as, you know, a, a pretty strong criticism. Um, so in, in our, um, our camp, we really focus on... Um, developing the skill to take risks and let go of mistakes yeah and in fact we we have a practice we call the failure bow so yeah. you know if we're playing a game and if i decide for myself if i want to take a failure bow if yeah. i feel like i've messed something up i can yeah. say i failed i take a big bow and everybody applauds um, and that is so freeing especially for the adults who are put in this position of having to be experts 
Yes. Um, they're working with some of our most neediest kids. You know, these are the kids that get bullied. Yeah. These are the kids that have greater incidents of depression and suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts and things like that. So yeah. There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. And to what I've heard from them is they feel like they regain their sense of play. Yeah. And to yeah. bring that back to them and for them to know they can be human and yes. they can make mistakes and yeah. they can take risks. It's yeah. just wonderful. Certainly picking up on something you're saying there, they feel the need to be the experts. It's kind of that level of pressure to have all the answers right away. Right. Before you've necessarily asked the right questions. Right. Or had, you know, not, not aware of the needs of other people in the room. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, I must, I must arrive, I must be prepared, I must have all the answers, yeah. and I must have them all now. Yeah. And it's kind of like human beings don't necessarily work like that. Right. Or, or should not be really required to operate like that. You know, it's kind of exactly. questions. Questions should come first. Yeah. And then patience and then answers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, teachers aren't the only profession, but they're certainly a profession where they need to be decision makers. Yes. Um, and they need to make decisions on the fly. You know, like I just talked about that concept of scaffolding. Mm -hmm. It's not something a, a computer test or some other kind of test is going to tell you. Yeah. Once you get into it in an educational activity with your students, you can you can read it, you can see if they're lost and you need to adjust on the fly. Yeah. And in a lot of ways in the United States we've taken that decision making power away from them, whether it's through mandated curriculum or through just not even focusing on that skill set, that yeah. decision making, like assessment as a live activity yeah. versus a thing on a piece of paper or on a yeah. computer. Yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing that's because of the need to, oh, we need to measure this, we need to measure how people are doing, so it needs to be written down and have a number applied to it, and, yeah. then, and then that's where kind of things get pressured and structured and, and that the experiential end of yeah. it gets lost. Yeah, and, you know, and there are some good reasons for it. I mean, there are struggling schools, there are kids who graduate high school yeah. not being able to read, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's a big problem. Um, but I personally would like to, um, to bring in all stakeholders in finding solutions for those problems rather yeah. than yeah. Mand mandating solutions from yeah. one set of stakeholders to another. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just yeah. think that's more effective. So we're, we're in San Jose. It's yes. the day of the final of the yes. Comedy Sports World Championship. Um, so we've talked a bit about your uh, teaching. How, how did you find comedy sports? Yeah, so I... Um, trying to remember what order this was. It was, again, maybe about five years ago, six years ago, I was looking for something to do on my birthday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I Googled maybe improv in, in, in uh, our area and found yeah. comedy sports and went and had a great time. And that kind of, uh, you know, I had been out of performing for a bit of time between moving from where I grew up and marriage and kids and yeah. work and all that. Um, and so then my wife and I went back again another time for our anniversary. And, and after seeing a second match, I was like, that, you know, it just looks really fun. And yeah. everybody's having a great time. So next time they have tryouts, so I'm going to yeah. try out. Yeah. And so I did and tried out. Uh, now this is my fourth year with Indianapolis. Okay, cool. And, uh, you know, they, they and other comedy sports players have become a family to me. Yeah. Um, the, the, the improv itself, I love, and I think we do great work, and yeah. we're very entertaining, but also just the personal connection mm -hmm. nationally and internationally. 
um, it's something I really treasure. Yeah, yeah, the val- because it, you know you're, you're talking about the educational side of it and this and the the, the values. Yeah, that comedy sports lays out. Yes, um, like the, the the four tenets that have been covered earlier this week. In, inspiration, not inspiration. Collaboration, inspiration, gratitude, and fun. Yeah. Um, when they did the big, big rebranding thing a few years ago, and you can see it, you know, you can yeah. see it in the people. Um, you're also a musical improviser. I am. Yeah. Okay. That's my some of my favorite stuff. Okay. Yeah. Tell I, me more. Um, you know, back in high school, I was a I was a freshman in high school, and these guys formed a punk band and asked me to play bass for their band, and yeah. so I went and bought a bass and started playing bass, <laughs> you know, cool. and uh, playing you know Ramones type songs and that sort of thing. Um, so, so that was an aspect of my performing life. Uh, yeah, my father would play guitar and all. So, music has always been something I've loved, um, and then. In Indianapolis, we have some really strong musical improvisers that yeah. you know, I just have loved to, to get to know and to start to work with. And yeah, and is that in the context of improvising just, just for the music, just for the band? or um, Both, actually. We have, um, we have you know, great singers and a variety of musical games that we'll play in comedy yeah. sports matches. We also, in Indianapolis, um, our late-night series... Uh, um, Includes a fully uh, imp- improvised, full-length, ninety-minute musical wow, that has cool. a band. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and so I've had the great fortune to be able to to perform and sing in the musical as well as to be in the Yes and band. Yeah, um, yeah, and play guitar or percussion or that kind yeah. of thing. I've seen those improvised musical, and that's the kind of thing that really blows people's mind when they see it for the first time. Because yeah. it's kind of like this is no, it can't be. It can't. It is. It is actually. You know. Yeah, it's it uh, it's it's wonderful to watch. And Jim Ansaldo, thank you so much for giving me some of your time here. Absolutely. It's been really good to catch up face-to-face um, in San Jose, and we'll enjoy the rest of the championship. Great. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, uh, please share it on social media or leave a review. Uh, I look forward to reading those. It's been a while since the last episode, which you'll know if you're a regular listener. You can now listen to the Bringer Brick podcast via the Bringer Brick website or my own website, which is johncooper.org.uk, where I've consolidated a lot of content, so you'll find plenty of other interesting things there to look at, as well as detailed show notes from the guests, what we talk about in the interviews, and their work. If you want to contact me, John, you can do that again via the website. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I've been a stand-up comedian and improviser for over a decade. If I can help with training or answers to your questions, I certainly will. And if I can't, I will do my best to point you in the right direction. Bye for now.